accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episodes called Image in the Sand and Shadows and Symbols, I think. It's the first and second episode of the seventh season premiere. Image in the Sand aired on September 30th, 1998. It was written by Iris Stephen Bear and Hans Beamler, directed by Les Landau. In this episode, Cisco tries to regain contact with the prophets. In the next episode, which is called Shadows and Symbols, aired on October 7th, written by, a lot of scrolling for this one, Iris Stephen Bear and Hans Beamler, directed by Alan Croker. In this episode, Cisco searches for a mysterious orb of the emissary. Worf, Martok, Bashir, O'Brien, and Quark attack a Dominion shipyard in orbit around Monarch 4. Kira confronts the Romulans over their arming of the hospital base, and Deep Space Nine also receives a new resident who has a very familiar name. We're joined by Clay to kick off the seventh season. Clay, how are you? Uh, I'm good. If I sound overly congested, it's not because I caught a late summer cold. It's because I've been crying thinking about Jedzia for the past two weeks. I know, your nasal uh, cavities <laughs> Your nasal cavities are swollen from all the tissues uh, that you've gone through here. That sounded inappropriate, but we're here to talk, <laughs> to talk about the seventh season. We made it all the way to the seventh season, Clay. We're almost done. That's also why I'm, I've been crying, because it's uh, so close to being done, but also it's uh, so close to being done. You yeah. Know? yeah, there's positives and negatives, I suppose, just like each and every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Um, yeah, so we can get into it. We are kicking off the seventh season with this two-parter. I believe this is the only two-parter in the season, and the last ten episodes end in a kind of arc that uh, mirrors the six-episode opener of season six, but we mm. will be doing those one by one. But this one we're going to be talking a, about two episodes. Is it a full season, or do they? is it truncated at all? No, it's full. It's 26. Oh, okay. So there are... Uh, if you ignore the arc at the end, and this one, there's actually only 14, it sounds like a crazy thing to say, but there's actually only 14 episodes that don't exist in that arc, if you know what I mean. Huh. Uh, so yeah, yeah. there's there's a, a fairly limited amount of time that they have to wrap things up. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know if they were doing that thing that they seem to do all the time now, all the time now where it's like, we're coming back for a final season, but it's going to be like five episodes. Yeah, to split, to split a season or something. The actors are... Um, I don't know why Star Trek always goes seven seasons when all the actors are contracted for six to open it up. That's really, yeah, that's really silly. And I, I don't know why they go to seven at that point. You think they would just aim to end it at six or make it a seven-year contract if they wanted to go seven mm. years. So I don't, I don't know. But anyway, me and Clay both have colds. But let's uh, come back after this break. I'll play an audio clip and we'll break down image in the sands and shadows and symbols or symbols and shadows. It's one of those two. All right. I still don't understand why the prophets would send you a vision of Sarah. I came back here to clear my head, to try to figure out what to do next. Maybe learning the truth about my mother is the first step of this journey. Well, from here on out, I hope the prophets keep their noses out of my business. Are there any other secrets I should know about? Just my gumbo recipe. But I'm taking that to my grave. A little bit of a um, a low-key opener here. 
Clay, I guess, would be mm. my major takeaway from this one compared to some of the other season openers that we've had for things where there's like huge um, ship battles or you meet the changelings for the first time and have an epic adventure on the Gamma Quadrant or something like that or the opening um, six-episode arc that opened up season six. This one's relatively small. Uh, we get to the end of the two episodes back to the status quo, sort of, where things are sort of back where we would expect DS9 to take place, where Cisco's back on the station. Kira's back in second in command. Everyone is reunited. Ezri Dax is here. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'd like, I, I don't know how much I'll actually have to say about this episode because I, I kind of find these ones, these two, a little bit underwhelming. And yeah. I think that the things that the show does okay, it manages to do well, but it also continues to traipse us down the path of the prophets, which leads to some ups and downs. But what did you think? Yeah, I was. Uh, um, it re- it seemed like a, a a real reset button or like a, a reestablishing couple episodes, and uh, yeah, I didn't find them super engaging, and I found the prophet stuff. You know, I don't. I don't love that stuff, obviously, as I've said many times. Um, And all of the interesting things that I thought were possible because of what happened at the end of last season, they just very quickly, no, they go back to, ah, now the wormhole's open. The Paw Wraith got farted out and everything's fine. Yeah. Apparently there's only one Paw Wraith, which was causing all the problems too, which is funny. It's only the one guy that they got to throw him out of the bar and everything's all set. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It's like he got to the party and locked the door behind him, and no one could figure out how to get him out of the house. You were, um, um, you were sort of. Uh, there was a comment on YouTube or something that brought up Christian iconography, and you were kind of like, mm. what, "What? What is this person talking about?" I think there was a kind of a misunderstanding about what uh, he was referring to and what you were thinking. But I think you're you're obviously getting a better sense of uh, why that listener said Christian iconography with this one. Like, but you, we, we were talking about before you'd seen this one and it's like, well, you could kind of say that it's a God versus Satan type thing, but that's not really limited to Christianity. Like that kind of feels like it's all the Abrahamic, uh, religions that have that sort of sense of good versus evil. However, uh, Christianity does have a child born of God figure in it. Um, yeah. So so does star Wars. Yeah, that's, that's true. So it's, it's moving more into that kind of mystical realm. Um, I, do we want I to just start with the that. prophet stuff? We can, we'll get the yeah. prophet stuff out of the way. It's the major driving force of the episodes, but I think it's it's also, to me, maybe the least interesting storyline that spans these two episodes. And to, to start it off with, I'll say that this is a weird two-parter in that I really think there's a... I really think that they could have accomplished everything here in a full episode. And all that the two-parter serves to do is... The first episode serves to spend half of its time reminding you via kind of clunky exposition what happened in the sixth season, and then they go off on their path. But it really feels like the first one is kind of a waste of an episode because it doesn't really move things into gear, and all of the action of what they do takes place in the second episode, which I think is better than the first one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, all the action happens in the second one. The first one's a lot of setup. uh uh, the one thing I did really like in the first one, and I hope she comes back, is uh, I really like that Romulan commander. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what it is about her. She just she seemed like she was a new character that was a bit of a breath of fresh air because um, she had a bit of a, a, a different kind of a, um, style than everybody else. And I liked the way she was butting heads with Kira and stuff and how they weren't – she wasn't playing it as though she was an evil Romulan 
it was it was more diplomatic than that, but it was still had a little bit of edge to it. Mm. <clears throat> um, I find I, like I find that, her that, arc a little bit un, not an arc, but I find her development a little bit weird. I suppose like I yeah. I don't know if they can spend enough time with her to make the twist that she's arming this hospital effective. It kind of feels like it's really cliche and like yeah. you're you're expecting it to happen, but I think the performance is strong enough that it kind of elevates it over the material, but it does feel like it's just a like a pretty stock standard Romulan thing to do, I suppose. And um they never really get into why they're doing it other than for the sake of the Romulans are treacherous and they just do things like this. Yeah. Uh so it it it, it feels a little bit empty and I think that a lot of the storylines kind of fall into that trap for these two where they, they feel like they're happening, but I'm not sure why they're really grounded into the universe. It feels like they're more just plot for plot's sake than they actually have anything to say about the current state of affairs. Yeah, that 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 storyline I, I think could have been more effective a couple episodes down the line, uh, where if if you know you established the relationship between those characters and stuff a little bit better. Um, but you know, it, I'm not saying that would that would have made it 100 percent better or it would be a make or break for me, but. Uh, uh yeah it it's it's um the profit stuff i don't like i i really didn't like the uh you know you said the, the you said that the uh the profit stuff felt felt pretty weak i mean and uninteresting just think of what they had to do to get to the end of that story they have um secret mother uh flashback to benny russell mm-hmm. uh Crazy, uh, a new orb that no one knew existed that he then has to find uh, and then dig up in the set. It was just like a, a lot of, you know, as as one would say, it was a long way to go for a uh, ham sandwich. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it just, I didn't find it very satisfying. And it was, again, it felt kind of like a, uh, <laughs> I, was the, was the, the, reinstating of the of the profits in the wormhole did that cause any of the other storylines to work out or was it just like those storylines were all coinciding because i yeah the way that they cut it together with the uh the climaxing storylines made it seem like that cisco releasing the the profit or whatever into the wormhole somehow influenced what happened in the other storylines like they weren't going well and then that happens and then they do go well but i couldn't tell if that was the intent or if it was just that they all were um successful just around the same time you know what i mean yeah i mean i particularly feel that in the um the kira blockade storyline yeah where i yeah. feel that i don't think the bajorans reacted appropriately to their celestial temple reopening when they see that and <laughs> i i thought that the, the i thought that what the drive of that storyline was going to be that they were sort of being pushed to the breaking point with whether or not they want this blockade to continue. And when the temple reopens, it's like their faith is reaffirmed in what they're doing. And and they stand up to the Romulans there because I actually like the Bajoran plotline quite a bit. We won't touch on it there, but the the wormhole opening does just seem to be coincidental with everything else. And no one seems to really react to it the right way. I don't, I don't think for how important it is, but I particularly felt it in the Kira thing. Worf, not so much because he's off doing his own thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I didn't think that stuff was that interesting. I thought the, uh, the, the Benny Russell thing felt really out of left field, even though I guess it kind of does confirm that it was a profit vision. Um, in this case, a power vision. Yeah. Is, uh, do you, do you think that the profits or power gave him the original vision 
Or like, did the power rates give him the original vision? Is that the implication? Or was it just because they're both the same kind of alien that either one of them can do it? Yeah, I assumed it was either one. All right. Um, and I, you know, I still don't think that that fixes my problems with that episode. Cause I, you know, I don't think you should need to watch an episode that happens a half a season later to understand what happens, you know, in that episode. But, uh, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think they're just throwing a lot at you. Uh, you know, the secret mother thing was, was weird seeing as we've never even heard him talk about his mother. Um, yeah, it was just it, it seemed like they were kind of grasping at straws on ways to make that storyline interesting. Like we have to the storyline is we have to have Cisco find this box and release this thing. Okay, well, what do we do to get him there that isn't just, you know, boring. Yeah. Uh and I don't know that they're 100% effective. I actually, you know, that being said, I did kind of like the Benny Russell stuff. I like the Benny Russell stuff, even if I don't yeah. know if it fits. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think that it does. Um, but I, I did like the, uh, the, uh, uh, the cutting back and forth. That that's very similar to the um, that Buffy episode that I was talking about, where she's in the, uh, uh, the mental institute. Style. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, where he. So in this in this case. It's Cisco or Benny Russell who has to actively make the decision whether or not to which reality to choose, kind of thing. Yeah. Even though that's not really the point of what's happening here, but that is what he's doing. Um, yeah, I thought that stuff was fun, but yeah, I don't know if it really fits with 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 everything else. I think um, I think the profit thing to me, the biggest problem is that it reminds me quite strongly of the problems that we had with uh, Star Trek Nemesis, the film, the TNG film. Where yeah. it feels like there should be a, like a lot of thematic meat to what's going on, and instead it it's like the most thematic material without any sense of why this theme would be impacting people the way that it mm-hmm. is. And I think that that's mm-hmm. really the big problem with it, which it goes all the way back to how bland the Bajoran religion is in general, that there's nothing you, – you don't really know enough about it to draw any kind of conclusions about how it's impacting the plot. And I, I think that's the problem here with this – with this DS9 to, uh, turn towards this material is that the profit stuff should tie into the war better than it does, or yeah, it should at yeah. least tie into the characters in a way that uh, feels more effective because there's no prophecies about it. Really. They occasionally throw out something that like, will a prophecy will deal with the episode's content, but it's not really, it's too, it's stuck in this weird thing where it's a Star Trek show so they have to kind of keep the prophets like they're aliens because they are aliens. They're not really gods, according to that, like how Starfleet views them. However, right. Cisco sees them as gods, so they have this mystical quality to them. But because they're stuck in this sci-fi Star Trek universe, they the mysticism can't go so far. There's like only so much that they can do with it because then it would stop feeling like a Star Trek episode. Right. And I don't know. I, I find it really my problem with the whole profit storyline here is what you're saying is that there's, there's like a lot of events that go on with it, yep. but it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like any of this is really amounting to anything because by the end of it, it's kind of like a twist for twist's sake. You're like, okay, he's Cisco Jesus Christ um, back, yeah, re- was, reborn to fix yeah. things. Hated that. But, but at, at that, like, it doesn't it doesn't tie. It doesn't illuminate anything to me about this show this plot line. It just feels like yeah. it's a mystical plot line laid on top of everything else. And they're going to go through the beats of what this kind of storyline would be. And at the end of it, we'll get to the end of it. But I, I would just prefer more of a, you know, more Starfleet 
contention with what the prophets are doing, more like bickering back and forth. The one thing that I do like about this, and I think is what I'm trying to get at, the cult of the Powraiths makes sense to me, that there would be a sort of Satan-worshipping group of Bajorans that want the Powraiths to succeed. And I think that you could get a lot of tension out of that, but they don't do much with it except for introduce them and then have one of them try to kill Cisco. Yeah, I completely forgot that happened until you said that. Uh, <laughs> that was one of the more interesting things that happened. But there's so much that happens in that plot line that I just completely forgot. Um, it, it's yeah, it's like they give you four or five different strands of of directions they could go, and they just kind of do all of them. Uh, they they do the first step of like all of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. The thing the uh, the the prophets taking control of Cisco's mom's body in order to make sure that Cisco gets born. I don't know. That's, that's garbage. <laughs> Come on. That's like, that's, that's star Wars episode one level garbage right there. Yes. It, it's very, I mean, like why, why do you need to make, so we've spent six seasons or we're into seven seasons now. Um, with Cisco grappling with the fact that he is perceived as this emissary character, doesn't literalizing that connection take kind of the interesting aspect away from that? It takes away the you know, Star Trekky version. Yeah, of it. yeah, and it's I just find like it makes it less interesting because it's like, well, then why? So everything that happened was a hundred percent preordained, and it's not. There's no wiggle room for you know. Yeah. Any other possibility? Yeah. Well, I'd say just, why why didn't me. the prophets tell him this? What what's the he doesn't yeah. he doesn't learn anything through this journey. It, like if they had told him what his role was at the very start, it doesn't really change anything <coughs> for his story at that point. So the the mysteriousness of the prophets is something that it continues to kind of come back and bite you in the, the ass a little bit cuz and they they also, you know, I uh we had the discussion in I forget what the hell episode it was. It was one of the big ones as to whether or not the prophets are deus ex machinas. I think retconning into the fact that they actively manufactured Cisco's birth is a pretty deus ex machina thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it's it, not not in the literal, not in the explicitly narrative sense of, you know, where it ends up in the story or whatever. But it's like you have this godlike being that's specifically setting in motion all of this. Stuff. It just it just feels really lazy to me. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know really. It just, if to me, it feels just empty. I guess would be like it, it's a storyline that I'm just not particularly interested in. The beats of where it goes from here, and I think, I think it just yeah. comes back to the fact that I don't really understand what the theme is. But it, like, what, what, where do you go from here? Does he just become like? Oh, I got. I'm. I bet. I. I guess I have to go to church more, and I guess right. I have to. Or you know, or I mean, the most interesting thing you could get out of it is that he starts uh, shirking his or siding more with the prophets and the Bajorans than he does with Starfleet. Yeah. But I mean, do you really need him to be fucking Jesus Christ to do that? No, I don't think they already started him on that path, which yeah. makes it more of a. There's more character agency in him choosing to go that that direction yeah, than the exactly. prophets coming along and saying, no, this is all preordained. And because because the prophets have no sense of time, they know how everything is going to work out for them. So yeah. they set these things into motion. Yeah. You know, this is this is exactly the opposite of what I always say. Like th- these are these are. <coughs> excuse me. God, 
uh, these are elements and, and story beats that happen not because of the consequence of anybody's actions or, or, or decisions. They're just completely manufactured. And yeah. there's no drama in that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's too bad. Um, and there's not really much else that I have to say with it. I mean, On the terms of this episode's content, it's just I didn't like the Cisco beats, really. I, I don't know... You know, his his leave of absence or whatever, it's been a couple months he's been off uh peeling potatoes or whatever he's doing and sort of trying to figure out what he what he means. You know, the and it's all kind of this clunky writing thing of he sees the baseball fall and then Esri throws the baseball and he's like, I gotta dig here with my tiny shovel for five hours yeah. and we'll dig something up. Yeah. It it's you know, it it reminded me of uh <clears throat> excuse me, God. Fucking colds, I mean emotions. Um <laughs> It, I this past weekend I watched Signs, the M Night Shyamalan movie, for the first time in a long time, and it's actually not entirely dissimilar to this because you know I I had seen it before, my girlfriend had not seen it before, and I remembered liking it a lot more. Except you know until they get to the end and it gets kind of stupid as his movies tend to do, unfortunately now. Um, but we were talking about it afterwards, and I and, and I was like, yeah, you know, it really. It's really kind of it really kind of takes all of the uh <clears throat> character work out to an extent if you really extrapolate out exactly what's going on where it's like in order to save uh just I'm assuming people are familiar with the movie signs uh in order to save Mel Gibson's son uh God manufactures or someone manufactures the death of his wife so he can relay a cryptic message that he can then relay to Joaquin Phoenix, who is only in the right position because he fa- he f- was not a su- successful baseball player, mm-hmm. and their daughter has a weird water thing that is seemingly unconnected until the fa- the point where it comes into play. You know, it's like it's like it's less God and more the finger of the writer. You know, yeah. yeah. And that when you really start to extrapolate it out, you're like, yeah, I, I see what they're going for, but I feel like the weight that they want isn't exactly there because it feels so contrived. Right. Yeah. It, it feels less. Um... <laughs> less a product of circumstance and things coming together more than just like the, the writer at the end of the day saying, I'm, I've cleverly linked all these things together and we'll see how they, res- uh, how, how, how well everything resolves here is how clever I am, I suppose. Yeah. I don't think this is as quite as, uh, gleefully pretentious as, as signs kind of is, mm-hmm. if you really break it apart. Yep. Uh, cause they're doing pretty standard stuff where, you know, he gets a cryptic dream and then the ball thing and whatever, you know, that's fine. Um, but like, does it have to be a secret mom? Why can't it just be his regular mom? Yeah. You know, like, what? <laughs> that, <laughs> why does there have to be like that? She's never come up before his mother. So why can't it just be his regular mother? No, she, it, she's never been brought up before to the point where I was confused about they, cause they don't bring up the fact that he has a stepmother for quite a while into the episode. So you're left with a yeah. sense of like, what well, did Cisco never ask about his mother or anything like that? Like, why is he totally yeah. surprised by this? But uh, yeah, apparently his stepmother was posing as his real mother, uh, just because that makes the story make sense. <laughs> because yeah, they had it, to, well, it, to do it that. It gives it more, it, it, it gives it more manufactured drama or manufactured suspense. Uh, because well, Cisco would realize something was up. Otherwise, he needs to be in the dark about why his mother is not his the person that he thought it was. Yeah, yeah. it just feels so. It feels so. Con- it's such a contrived, unnatural way to to move the story along. Um, and also, I don't. I didn't really get a good look at the picture, but 
I don't know if they de-aged Brock Peters or something, but from my memory, they didn't. And it was just him with like a really young woman. (laughs) So I was like, oh, I guess this is probably his sister. And when he was like, no, it's my wife, your mother. I was like, she's like this in that picture. She's like 25 years younger than you. Oh yeah, the de- the dating de- <laughs> technology on Brock. They put a little bit of extra makeup on him when he was doing that photo. I always like those um those things in episodes where they take a picture. It's it's also funny that it's a literally a like a Kodak picture in the 24th yeah. century that they have yeah. a printout well, of a picture. <laughs> you know, it's funny cuz after a long time of of me speculating that pictures don't exist in the Star Trek universe. They've got them everywhere. I feel now. like yeah, Deep Space 9 has really torn that apart and i don't think it's for the better i feel like every time they use a picture it's generally a poor narrative device yeah yeah because they used it in that um o'brien episode where he goes undercover because they show the guy's family to to yeah. hate mistakes yeah to show that he yeah. proved that he has a family yeah i um i i feel i don't know about you i feel like i have trouble talking about the prophet storyline mostly yeah. because i think it's empty um and once we once you get over your point of like I don't really know if this is good I don't really like this like I I was uh, I guess my takeaway would be I was watching some um, TNG episodes last night and uh-huh. there, it, when you go back to TNG after watching a lot of DS Nine there's like a incredibly stark difference between the shows and how yeah, they tell their stories so. and uh, I think that the I don't know if the mysticism angle works on a Star Trek show here, or at least they're they're not pushing it hard enough for it to feel like it should matter to that way. And if they'd stuck something like this on TNG, I think it would have felt totally out of place. And I think that they've they've done an okay job establishing that this world exists in DS9, yeah. but it's not really it, it's not drawing Star Trekky conclusions off of the profit stuff. You know what I mean? It's like they've abandoned taking a Star Trekky look at what this storyline could be and what it could mean to be like. Like it, it, it's kind of about like questioning faith and things like that, and the Bajorans' mm-hmm. faith in the in the face of other species knowing that these are aliens and and explaining it away. But it's like, what does that mean for the Bajorans? What does that mean for Cisco? Like, why is does why would someone be drawn to this kind of thing if they lived in this world of like pure science, which is what Star Trek is yeah. supposed to be? And they don't really touch on any of that they just cisco just gradually moves towards acceptance because he likes the prophecies on some level and he thinks that that's really great but they've already all run into aliens that tell the future and are time travelers so it's like why is he drawn to these guys over anything else and so it feels a little bit hokey and tacked on and just thematically empty like if if this was about like finding some kind of deeper meaning in life than what starfleet can provide i'd be down for that it feels like a very ds9 approach to what they would want this faith argument to be but i don't see what cisco gets out of these guys and not from his normal life as a starfleet officer yeah i think uh excuse me i think in tng the big difference is too that i or I should say the difference between tng handling something like this and deep space nine is i think it works the fact that it works at all in Deep Space Nine is a credit to the fact that the actors make make it seem like the characters believe it. Mm-hmm. Like that, I I don't think that you know as hammy as he can get. I don't think that that uh, it doesn't feel like Avery Brooks is rolling his eyes every time he has to do some shit with the prophets. Yeah. Whereas as you were talking about that, I was just imagining like 
Jonathan Frakes doing the stuff that <laughs> Brooks has to do. And I was like, I wouldn't buy that for a second. But I, but I, I think that I don't even know if that's an actor quality thing. It's, it's, I think it might be the tone of the show. Like, can you True. imagine yeah. the TNG characters talking in any sense about the profit stuff with a straight face? Like, and I, no. I agree with you that that seems to be like an actor thing, but it might just be that we're so familiar with them talking like data that it's very difficult yeah. for them to imagine a plot line where Picard is like, you know what? I'm the son of, I'm Jesus Christ, basically. <laughs> and we're going to have to go on this adventure and solve this. So all the other characters would lose their minds about it. Yeah. It, you know, I think it's also, it's, I think you're right. It's uh, <clears throat> where, where the other shows and movies take the concept of, Hey, what if God was actually just an alien and extrapolate that out through the sci-fi lens? This one goes, what if God was actually an alien, but also just kind of God? I would just say the, the DS9 is saying, what if aliens are gods? But, you know, it's yeah, like, it's not, it it's not it what way, if God yeah. was an alien, it's what if these aliens are gods? And right, it, right. it doesn't seem to have an interesting conclusion about that statement. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, it's just, it's, they kind of stopped there. Right. And don't really <laughs> extrapolate out or really explore it. It's just like, yeah, what if uh, it's it's like the note card, the old note card that's been hanging around since the first season says aliens as gods, question mark. And then they just keep putting that up and they don't really add anything to it. And it, it works for Star Wars because Star Wars is fantasy to me. Like, I don't need that kind of level well, of examination know, and, and I'm OK with it in Star Wars. It's actually a really interesting con- comparison because what they do in Star Wars is they actually take the fantasy thing and add bullshit science to it. Right. Yeah. You know, and that it doesn't work there because it's a because it, Star Wars is fantasy that you take this idea of the force that was up until that point, a very uh, Zen like sort of uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, just a mis- abstract concept. Yeah. Just mysterious then, powers. Yeah, mysterious power, and then uh, we have to. We need a specific way to measure it so we can show people that this kid is the strongest one we have. Mm-hmm. And so they come up with this ridiculous like rating system, and, and and link it to basically like a bacterial infection, which is it just doesn't work because it doesn't fit with the rest of the world. And I think it's the, the, the it's a it's a very good inverse of what they're doing here. Yeah. That's interesting. And neither series really comes out for the better, in my opinion, uh, once they started doing that. You have to kind of stick to your lane or stick to the universe that you've built. Because yeah. I, I, I feel like there's more room for Star Trek to explore this stuff than there is for Star Wars to absorb sci-fi elements into itself. Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, so anytime you add sci-fi elements to Star Wars, it does not make it better. Yeah. Um, you know, whether that's... Uh, distance between planets or how to hyperdrive, how does hyperdrive work or whatever, or, you know, yeah. Um, droid science, the the one from the, the last movie where everybody was getting pissy because they had bombers that just dropped bombs vertically down in space. (laughs) 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 It's like, okay, yeah, I get what you're saying, but also science has never been the, the thing people care about or should care about in a star Wars movie. So I'd get over it. That's a good point. The bombs that just drop bombs. Uh, let's um. We'll have plenty of time to talk about the rest of the profit stuff over the course of the season. I think patrons have told Great. you at this point that the uh, the profits become a prominent force uh, going forward into the end game. So the only way I feel like I would find the profit story uh, somewhat satisfying is if the show, if the series ends with Cisco leaving Starfleet to become like a monk or something. Okay. 
that that's that's you see that as his end goal or the the best case scenario for him yeah i feel like he i feel like you know especially now that he's the son of god essentially or whatever uh i feel like that if if they were being true to the intention of what this this relationship and storyline seems like it was supposed to be there will be a point where his uh obligations to the prophets and to the and to the religion uh butt heads with his obligations to starfleet and he sort of chooses the third option and just sort of goes his own way gotcha yeah well uh we'll remember this I was kind of we'll put- hoping I was kind of hoping that maybe he'd show up in Picard as uh, essentially just real world Avery Brooks because I feel like I feel like real life Avery Brooks like the way he shows up in that Captain's documentary is probably pretty accurate to what Cisco would be like. <laughs> He's wearing a lot of leopard print and dark sunglasses yeah. and things like that. Oh yeah. man, not to go on a total tangent, but this just reminded me. Did you did you see um the the red carpet interview with Terrence Howard from the Emmys? No, I didn't. Oh, you need to look it up. It is a plus insanity. Uh, did this recently? Re- did this recently happen? Because I saw on Twitter someone tweeted about like Terrence Howard's Wikipedia, and they posted a clip. And his Wikipedia, like he, he, I didn't realize how insane Terrence Howard is. I guess. Yeah. No, this happened like three days ago. Okay, then maybe that's why I was brought um, up. Yeah, it's uh, it's Terrence Howard dressed for an award show on the red carpet very calmly but purposefully talking to like the e reporter who's asking him what his plans are for the evening about how he has discovered the the meaning of true mathematics and can recreate the gravity of saturn without using numbers and shit mm-hmm. and it's it's complete insanity and yeah. he followed it up with like a four page <laughs> uh a four page breakdown of 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 a new understanding of math and it's 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 epically insane yeah his um I guess his thing is that he does not understand why one he, he he thinks that he has discovered a mathematical proof for why one times one does not equal one, why it equals yes. two. Um yeah. and I guess he posted it on Twitter and everyone roasted him, I guess. <laughs> With like ma- mathematicians, I guess, were just like had had uh, decided that this actor pretending to discuss uh, mathematics has something to say and they just kinda called him out on it. But yeah, that's his yeah. He calls it Terryology or something like that. <laughs> sure. You have to watch the interview, though. The interview is amazing. I'll it's check like it out. Grade A, uh, open open up your third eye, shit. You know, <laughs> and I the god God bless the people who are doing the reporting or the people who are talking to him because they're like he's going off about this stuff and he's like, yeah, and that's why you know I've understood that I can find the flower of eternity inside myself and I'll recreate it through the gravi- gravitational pull of Saturn. And the guy's like, yeah, gravitational pull. Now, speaking of pulling, um, how do you feel about uh, pulling up in second place in the Emmys? And, you know, the guy, they managed to navigate it pretty well. And even and he doesn't feel, n- neither of them feel like uh, offended or l- about the change in subject or anything. Because yep. like the guy Just will ask him it. a normal question. And he'll be like, well, you know, you know, a lot of people are watching TV. But, you know, what are they really watching? You know, they're just watching watching signals. And what I found is that the signal inside myself can go to the direct TV link of the universe. You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and it's, it's really worth watching. Do um, There's two other aspects to this, unless you had anything else you wanted to talk about. There's uh, the Bajorans and Kira confronting the Romulans. And then there yep. is the Worf and uh, Bashir O'Brien, Martok, and Quark adventure. Um, I guess the... Well, let's just get the wharf one out of the way first.
first. Sure. Um, because I don't really think, I think that this one suffers from the same thing as the Cisco stuff, except for the fact that I like the character work in it uh, a little bit better than the Cisco work. But I, I just feel like it's a, it's a kind, it's a, a plot that, feels like it should be about something, but it never really digs into it. I think it does it yeah. somewhat substantially by the, it has that really great scene where Worf has to apologize to them for yep. mm-hmm. uh, being a dick mm-hmm. to them, which yeah, I true. think is great, mostly because of Quark's responses to him <laughs> as he's apologizing, <laughs> which is really See, funny. I, I, I liked that scene, but the whole, that whole storyline, I'm thinking, what the fuck is Quark doing here? Like it just, it, that plus, you know, I still hate the Odo and Kira stuff. Um, and it's, it, they, all that stuff feels like, um, tacked on character stuff that wasn't really, I mean, the Odo and Kira stuff, obviously they were building to for a while, but like, I still don't buy the Quark was secretly in love with Jedzia thing. And uh, all of a sudden he's voicing his, about how much he loved her. I don't know. It just doesn't feel ring true to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that. I, I. I didn't mind him tagging along. It feels like everyone is just kind of tagging along just because yeah, they need to have, have everybody else show. in the cast yeah. do something. But I, uh, it, you know what I did like though, or I should say, I liked I liked that storyline. I agree with what you were saying. Um, I wish that they had a little bit more room to get into why the other people were there, as opposed to just uh, you know they decided to go to the funeral, kind of you know. Um, because Worf's intention is is very clear, um, and you know they get across some of that stuff in that apology sequence too. But I, I wish that the other ones who were there because they loved Dax had some something of a similar uh, honest breakdown of 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 what they were doing there or why they felt the need to come. You know? Yeah. It, it's. I, Again, I think it's, it's long. You only get forty minutes. So. Yeah. It, it, and that's kind of the problem. Like, no, the the episode is too, it's a two-parter, right? But it just feels like I'm even struggling now really anything to say about it. I just don't know what there is going on with it. It's kind of a, if you wanted to take these characters on this route post-Jedzia, it's interesting that they wrap it up so quickly. Yes. And that the, the characters don't really go down a path of any kind of like reconciliation or understanding about what they're thinking about And at this point. They do. That is the point of this episode. But you would think that that idea would have enough legs on it to do like another opening six episode arc where the characters are all in different places and then they reconcile at the end of it, or at the very least, give it its own episode. You know, s- if 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 not if not six, give it one where that's just what the episode's about. Oh yeah, because I'm I'm thinking you could do one episode for each character almost. Sure. Yeah, if you wanted to. Yeah. And yeah, like the 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 thing about it is just that it, it happens so quickly. That it feels like it's just like they made a bad decision about splitting them up at the end, and now they're just going to reconcile it. And I feel like Dax still doesn't get the the sort of send off that she deserves or anything like that. Right. Like it's all yeah. built around it, but it feels like it's very surface level and not about anything. Yeah, but like the- I, I feel like if if you if it, if you had it have its own episode, I feel like the that was all about these characters and their relationship to Dax and their relationship to each other, as far as Dax was concerned. I think that scene at the end where their thing works and it blows up that station would would have felt a little bit more um, emotionally uh, weighty. Because mm-hmm. uh, I don't really feel like it does what it's supposed to do. And yeah, something like this where it's, you know, three people 
or four if you count O'Brien. I'm not sure what he's doing there. Uh, three people who love Dax uh, to different degrees are going on a mission to essentially make sure that she gets to heaven. Uh, I feel like if once they uh, once they quote unquote accomplish that, uh, it should be a much more emotional moment. Especially since, as you were saying, you don't, we didn't really get a chance to 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 deal with her death so much mm-hmm. um, at the end of the, the first se- at the end of the last season, or even the, the first episode of this season. But it's um, also undercut by the fact that Dax is resurrected in this two parter. Sure. So Dax yeah. is not even really dead. You know what I mean? Like they're. And they're kind of, I mean, I guess you could say that the, the tie-in between the temple, the celestial temple, the wormhole reopening, and Worf's storyline is that you could, if they wanted to interlink those, Worf maybe would have a scene where he sees the wormhole and says, maybe that's Stovacor or something. Like, there's some connection between the Bajoran religion and what Worf was trying to do to get her something, where he sees the temple opening and he wonders if that's Jedzia's gateway to get where she sure. needs to go. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is kind of what they're saying, but... It undercuts it with the fact that Dax comes in and is Dax again, as that character has to be, because that's the whole way that that character is written. She's supposed to be like, I know all these people. I know all of you. I've lived this a lifetime before. And so it undercuts the Worf suffering bit, which you you kind of tell that they recognize because when Esri shows up at the end, Worf walks off disgusted because he's like, it's not really Dax, basically. Yeah. And... I feel like there's there's room to wiggle there, but it's just kind of it's shaky ground. I don't feel like there's enough there to really pin any hopes and dreams on the characters in an effective way that makes me feel like they it matters or amounts to anything. Yeah, it feels a little bit like the end of uh, Back to the Future Two, where uh, um, uh, you see Doc send Marty back to the future, and then immediately Marty comes running up behind him right. from you know from the events of the second movie. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, and, and I, I and it was weird, like the 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 uh, um the introduction of of the new dax um onto deep space 9 felt oddly unimportant it does didn't uh, it? You, you, it yeah. they treat it so she just kind of shuffles in and she's yeah. like oh hey odo oh hey kira nice hair you know, you know your suit she's, looks she's oddly says, Worf, we need, we'll need to talk yeah she just walks like ah, uh, Worf, we're going to need to have a conversation and you know that it was like uh Especially with Worf and Bashir and O'Brien coming back from this, you know, uh, quest quest to send her soul to the afterlife. And it's like, hey, guys, uh, you know, it should be there should be a little bit more uh, weight and recognition to that, you know? Yeah, I, I would agree. They, they'll they'll continue the Esri thing. I, I think that that and I, I totally agree with you, but I think it's more of a placement of how that plot would be possible with them, because there's, it's very difficult to introduce her at the end of the episode and not have it come off as be, being very laissez-faire, uh, an approach. Sure. And I agree that I don't think it's right. I would have not had them see her, I don't think. That, that, yeah. To me, it felt like a very well, dated know, trope of the 90s show where she shows up at the end there. But I think that if you hide her from them, you don't have to deal with that ramification. And then episodes after this, you can have her introduce herself in a more realistic way to those characters. And at the, I mean, it also feels like after she gets introduced and walks through, they do that like cast shot. Yeah. That that feels like them going like, here we go again. You know, (laughs) it, it just, it didn't totally fit. Like, I feel like it would have been nice to, uh, Dax even has a line, right? What does she say at that? She says, 
things are going to be different, but still the same or something. She has some yeah. line about that. Yeah. From from now on, why don't you guys just call me landfill? <laughs> um, like it would have been nice if maybe they came back from the mission and Worf kind of went off on his own to pray or something. And, uh, and then, you know, it ends with Dax standing in the doorway behind Worf as he's praying or, you know, like that, that at least imp- implies some weight to, to their right. meeting for the first time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do the, uh, the cliche thing of you see their shadows and it's, uh, Terry Farrell's shadow instead of the short, um, Esri Dax shadow. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> yeah. I, I, so that moves us generally into the, um, the Kira storyline with the blockade, which I think is the best storyline. And ah, it, I agree. Yeah, it, t- I it ties into, it ties into what I think the weakness of the other two are and that this storyline to me feels like a true character progression from where Kira was at the start of the series and where Bajor was to mm-hmm. where it now makes sense that they would be. Because to me, this is all about, I love Kira in command. Uh, I wish Kira had stayed in command the entire season. If Cisco is off yeah. on this vision quest, I think that she's a very nice way to mix up who's in command. But to me, this is the, the whole series has been about Starfleet was called in to take control of this station to administer it for the Bajorans who are trying to rebuild after this occupation, right? Seven seasons later, the Bajorans are finally starting to stand on their own feet and do mm-hmm. things for themselves. And to me, that's what this entire storyline is about. And I think it's really appropriate. It's like really the Bajorans telling Starfleet to like, go fuck yourself. Like, we're going to do this now and yeah. we're going to run our own thing. And it works at the end. And so I just feel that it has thematic heft to the storyline because the storyline is just this blockade thing. But because of how it relates to everything that Kira and the Bajorans have gone through, it means something. And the other the other plot lines don't have that. And I think that's why they yeah. suffer. And isn't isn't Deep Space Nine... Is 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 it originally a? Is it originally Cardassian? Yes, it's a mining oh, okay. station they built. Okay, yeah. so it's not a a construct of Bajor. It's a construct of Cardassia. Yes. Well, they're, either way, they're living in a prison it, camp. Yeah, basically. Yeah, either way, I think having putting Kira in command of of Deep Space Nine actually would be a pretty bold thematic statement where you know the the uh, uh the people who were were once oppressed are now the people who are in power here. Yeah. They they literally um, took the station back from the oppressor and are now running yeah. it. Yeah. Which I think could be really interesting. Um and you know uh not to pull out another Cheers reference, but uh um at the end of season 5 of Cheers when Diane leaves, uh it ends with Sam selling the bar and and leaving. And so when he comes back, uh, this new company has taken over it and uh, installed Kirstie Alley as the manager of the bar. And he just comes back as a bartender. And I was thinking that would be kind of an – that could have been a really interesting way to go with this where it's like, yeah, Cisco leaves. Kira gets put into power. Um, the idea here was eventually for the for the Star, for Starfleet to leave at some point, right? right. So. Yep. Why is this not the transition of power over to the Bajorans, who are clearly in a different place than they were seven years ago? And I like that and, transition being stressful for both sides, that it's not yeah. something that they don't want this right now to happen, because Starfleet obviously has tactical uh, considerations to think about, and sure. the Bajorans would rather just do it on their own. Yeah, and it, and, it, and it changes your dynamic, your character dynamic a bit, where you've got the same characters— but they're now in different positions where you've got Kira as the one who's in command and Cisco is there in a uh, support capacity, but ultimately answers to her now, you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Th- and that's what I, I like do have about to that. say, 
I like her new hairdo, but man, I don't know if she just drew the short straw as far as which female character had to get an even tighter uniform this season, <laughs> but it looks actively uncomfortable. It looks uncomfortable. Yeah, I like her. Her haircut looks the most modern of all of her haircuts, especially if we, when we go back to season one, you'll see her hair and be like, wow, what, what the hell is going on there? But yeah. her hair looks good. They have tightened up the uh, Bajoran uniforms to an unfortunate degree. And, it's yeah. like... It's like they were like, well, we can't just bring in this new younger Dax and put her in like a tighter outfit than the last one. So sorry, Kira, you're the one who needs to be in the tight outfit. Right. If we, we if gotta we're have, gonna, if we're gonna well, one of these the women youthful, has to be in a tight outfit. <laughs> we're gonna up the youthful sex appeal. I can't just make the obvious choice and have uh, Esri come in and do it. Right. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, I like the Romulan character. I like that plot line. I think that that works and everything. But uh, do you have anything else you want to say before we go to final thoughts about this? Um, I can't tell. I can't tell if um, we're a little bit rusty on the podcasting, or if there's just not much to talk about with this episode. But I felt like struggling to have anything to say constructive, except for the Kira yeah, storyline. You know, it's it's two episodes of Star Trek, and I have like five notes. You know, I didn't really. And my first two notes are about Kira's hair. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's you know I don't know. Yeah, I, it's kind of underwhelming. I think it's. Uh, yeah, part of me was wondering if if there's a little bit of a uh, rush put on about what do they know this is the last season they like do. do they know they, they do, do. Yep. so that I was wondering if maybe that was involved where it's like well we got to make sure we get this shit in that we want to do um I'll bring that I'll bring that up now at this point um sure. I will say without spoiling anything for you DS9 is fairly unique for a Star Trek series in that it has an end to it um, Ron Moore had a quote like they, 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 I was reading, he, he was saying that they had been thinking on DS9 for the past couple seasons about how they want to end the series, basically. Mm-hmm. So they, they've been thinking about this and he compared it to TNG and he said that he was actually embarrassed to admit that they didn't start thinking about the finale until they were almost close to the end of the season at that point. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, geez, we got to have to like write something. But I will say that, um, the serialized nature of DS9 leads to, there, there is a sense of finality, like the story ends mm-hmm. kind of on mm-hmm. DS9. And uh, they have, when you think about all the storyline strands that they have going, they have relatively little time to get through this stuff. I know that, I know that they have 26 hour long episodes to do it, but there is a lot that they have to finish and they do, they do move in that direction. So it's, it's not like the, uh, the, I guess I wouldn't say that it's the aimless quality of season six where we were kind of like, why are there so many filler episodes in this season? I feel season seven rectifies that a little bit because they know that the end is there and they write appropriately to get to the mm. end point. Does does it end with Cisco and Goldacott in like a scanners type mind battle <laughs> where they're just going? Aah! They actually uh, they come to a mutual understanding and shake hands and then walk off and that's the end of the series. <laughs> Let's take a break. We're gonna play. I'm clip. sorry about the stuff that I did <laughs> back there. Uh, uh, hopefully, we can move past this. Let's and, conquer another uh, planet. I forgive you for killing my daughter, but not really because that was my fault. Let's take an audio, uh, take a break. I'll play an audio clip, and me and Clay will come back and read some patron thoughts, and then give our final thoughts and wrap this one up. The Cisco has completed his task. Sir. The Costamosian no longer threatens us. You mean the Paw Wraith? It's no longer in the wormhole. I have cast it out. Is that why the prophets sent me to Tyree? To release you from the ore? 
the cost emotion tried to stop you with a false vision, but you did not waver. You fulfilled your destiny. My destiny? You talk as if my life was over. The Cisco must still face many tasks. I don't suppose you'll tell me what they are. All right, everybody. So if you support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, you can leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes and we read them on the show. Patreon.com is also the place where you can go to support the show. A couple dollars a month gets you extra stuff. And right now I'll read the captain tier supporters. They get that shout out. Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Captain Quark, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Pouch, David Kay, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, Yarpy, Joint Mango, Kevin Reyes, Kyle Barrett, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Elledge, Samuel Custer, Grim Santo, Sean Spinobi, Tark Latif, Vault 13 Hero, and Will Yates. Thank you very much for supporting the show, guys. Let's go to thoughts. There's only five of them, Clay, so it's actually pretty short here. Zim Nuclear Russell says, uh, Image in the Sand continues the unwelcome slide into magic with the Bajor stuff, but seeing Betty Russell again is still kind of a fun twist. Point Extra G says, This may be where they take it too far with the profits. The entire plot thread about Cisco's mother is really just, I don't even know. This is one of the things that has never sat right with me all the way back to when it originally aired. And not to be spoilery, nothing really ever comes out of it. It doesn't ever play into anything again, so why do it? It's a shame that part bothers me so because I really enjoy the other aspects of the story, particularly Esri and Benjamin. I would actually disagree that it doesn't have anything. I think it's, I'm not, I'm not going to say, I, I would disagree with that, Clay. So <laughs> we'll see what you think. Dwayne Hackett says, Image in the Sand, Shadows, and Symbols, these episodes should be a contender for the strongest season opener in Star Trek. It has existential threats, intrigue, uh, Romulan duplicity, tragedy, and the mounting Federation losses and the reveal that Sisko's life has been based on a lie, culminating in an epic showdown in a game of chicken, an epic tribute to Jadzia, and a new status quo for the Sisko-Prophet relationship. In fact, I don't think he speaks with any other, other prophet after this, which makes far more sense and is very much welcome at this point. These episodes also lend more ammunition to my theory that Benny Russell is actually a real person. Yes, I know Mother Prophet says it was a false vision, but that doesn't make it any less true. Benny can still be very well a part of Cisco's past and future. See my comment on Far Beyond the Stars regarding Cisco's life transcending both Benny and Ben. Image is a great setup episode for what is to come for Season 7, and Shadows is by far one of the best closing to any Star Trek two-parters. Yes, even better than Boast of Both Worlds as two-parters go. These episodes should be considered a guilty pleasure for all Trek fans. Five out of five. What? He gave, he gave it a fight. He, guilt, he likes It's those. a guilty pleasure, but it's the strongest opener in all of Star Trek. He, he, I, I don't know if those things really line up. He likes it. I, I, um, so Cisco doesn't talk to the prophets ever again in the rest of the season? Uh, he No, he, he talks to the mother prophet. Oh, so the, he, he's saying that okay. he doesn't talk to any of the, he doesn't have those scenes where he's like shifting between people and a lot of prophets oh, are talking okay. at him. All right, I get you. Uh, Russell Elledge says, a new season, a new hairstyle for Kira. Overall, I enjoyed these episodes. Appreciated that they gave me time to see how the characters are dealing with the death of Jadzia. I liked the Cisco storyline. It gave more depth to his relationship with the Prophets, and having Brock Peters on to play Joseph Cisco is always a treat. The Warfel Brian Bashir storyline was okay, although I didn't like Quark in the episode. He was petulant and whiny, and I felt he was a distraction. I didn't care for the Kira Romulan storyline. seemed out of place. In a time of war, it would seem Bejor would want as many weapons as possible to defend itself, and I just don't buy the Kira would go to these lengths. Seemed like the writers had to fill time and thought that taking Kira back to her underdog freedom fighter roots would be a pretty way, pretty good way to go. And although I don't really like Kira's new hairstyle, Nana Visitor always looks lovely. Do, do, do. And then the last comment. Kyle Barrett says, 
A stronger start to the season than I remembered. I like that the premiere puts introspective character work above action, and somehow the episode manages to make the Cisco is a prophet reveal work for me. I like Worf and Co. wallowing in grief about Jadzia's death, although their mission isn't great, and the Bajoran missile crisis sure escalated quickly. But I love Colonel Kira. I wish that she would stay in charge of the station for the entire season, and Cisco, as a repercussion for leaving, would have to take the role of second-in-command. I feel it would improve both characters and Cisco having more time to deal with his role as the emissary and still being the highest ranking Starfleet officer on the station and Kira, well, just having fun to do, uh, just having stuff to do. And it would be a fun change in the status quo if they changed roles for this final stretch. It would be a fun change in the status quo if they changed roles for the final stretch. I'd agree with that. Thank you, patrons, for leaving your thoughts about this. There's only five. So if people are unaware, there is a new Patreon list about uh, the comments section. You go to patreon.com slash the Penske file and you can leave your comments there. Fill them up. Let me know what you think about upcoming episodes and we'll read them. Clay, what do you think about this episode? Do you have anything you want to say about the patron comments, first and foremost? Um, I find, you know, maybe DS9, um, DS9, <clears throat> this change that DS9 is, is doing, if, if there is one good thing about it, it's obvious to me that it's showing different people what they like or is possible mm. in a way that the like the systematic sameness of TNG doesn't allow for this kind of difference in opinion that we're seeing at this point here. Right. And well, I, I wouldn't. Well, I would. Dis, I, I would say that I don't really like the profit stuff. If you like it, I see that you could have a totally different take on how this ending is going for them. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's. Uh... You know, it is what it is. It's I, I'm. It's not like ruining the show for me or anything because it's not. <clears throat> it it's not. It's not dysfunctional. Is the problem like there's nothing really no. wrong with it? It's just to me, it's not particularly interesting. Yeah, and it's it's not something that's just been added. Well, aside from the you know Jesus stuff uh, or the, the whatever, um, it's not something that has been just added for the final season, you know, it's not, it's not like they, they, it's been hard sci-fi all the way up to this point. And then all of a sudden they discovered these God aliens. Then it's taken a turn towards the mystic, you know, right. it doesn't, it doesn't really feel that out of place. Um, it's just, yeah, it's not my cup of tea. And, uh, it hasn't, it hasn't really intruded on the this the other stories or story elements to the point where I find it distracting or really uh you know uh detrimental. Yeah. So yeah, I can see, you know, it's it's not it's not my thing, but if other people like it, that's fine. Yeah. What do, what do you uh what are you gonna give this one on a scale of one to five for the two episodes considered as one? So we'll just give a one um, grade. I gotta go a three, I think. Yeah. It's a three for me. Nothing um I was just surprised for a, a season opener. It didn't grab my attention. Really, it's like that's yeah. like the, the worst thing I can say about it. It, it didn't really especially, hold me, especially for a two-parter as well. Um, like if this was just a single episode and they were doing all this stuff in one episode and it didn't kind of grab me, I'm like, yeah, all right, that's you know whatever. But they're doing it across two episodes, and by the end, you're just I'm just kind of like, uh, all right, I don't really know what where that sets us up for the season, the rest of the season. And I didn't find it super engaging or super exciting. Uh, but I guess everyone's back on the station. So I guess it did what it had to do. Right. If it was one episode, you could see it as kind of a table setter episode to just get things back to where they need to be. Yeah. But yeah. You, you think that you associate a kind of epicness with the two part of that. I don't think this one really had, and maybe wasn't even intentionally trying to do that. I know they were intentionally trying to make a more low key season opener for this. And mm. I just, it feels like the events are too big for that kind of a low key thing. So I'm a little conflicted. Yeah, it's, 
there, there's some pretty pretty operatic things happening for something that's supposed to be low key, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's every day the Son of God disappears. Trying to get spirits into Valhalla, plus you've got a, a, a god god birth baby and uh, uh, resurrection a, of a, a, a character and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Resurrection of a character and a uh, epic game of uh, intergalactic chicken. Uh, those they're pretty high stakes or at least seemingly epic feeling uh, operatic elements that it's tough to downplay those things and have it, you know, it's tough to just sort of like casually walk through those ideas, especially when you're doing them all at the same time. Me and Clay are both going to give this one a three. So we're off to starting season seven. Let us know guys what you think. Leave your thoughts on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Penske file is a place to go. If you want to support the show, much appreciated. It's actually, uh, there's a new goal for Voyager. If you want to see full Voyager coverage, there's a financial uh, level that we have to reach on Patreon, I suppose. Otherwise, we'll just do a curated list as it is. But if people are interested and find a value in a full Voyager rewatch, I suggest you go to patreon.com slash the Penske file and figure out the details there if you want to support the so show. If, if we hit that and we start Voyager, mm-hmm. but then it drops below that, do we stop? There'll be a little bit of leeway, but if if it's like Lemmings jumping over a cliff or something like that, it'll probably, yeah, it'll change. So it's, it's, it's not like a one time just gets to this for uh, one month, I think, but we need to right. be, we need to be around there, I suppose. There's a little bit of leeway. Full frontal Voyager. Uh, we'll see, but the, go to patreon.com if you guys are interested in that. And that is the compromise that we will make. So if we reach it, we'll do the full thing. If we don't, we'll do a curated at some point. So otherwise, check out the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Discord, all down below. Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we sign off? Uh, <clears throat> I don't think so. All right. Yeah, I think I'm out of things to plug at the moment. We're ready for season seven. We're in the home stretch. Only 23 more episodes, 24 more episodes, something like that. We've only got 20-something episodes left, and then we're going to wrap up our adventures with Deep Space Nine. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time. 